Clear Channel's iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Better than before. An hour of beauty, health, fitness, and lifestyle advice from renowned columnist and author Jane Wilkins Michael and her guest, top experts in their fields. Join Jane's campaign to become better than before. Now, here she is, Jane Wilkins Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show, Better Than Before on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. Beautiful day here in New York City. And to make it even more beautiful than before, here's the woman who's surrounded by sunshine even on a rainy day. And that would be my producer, the lovely Lori Houston. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jane. Well, you know, Lori, speaking of sunshine, how many times have I threatened to pack it all up, move to an island in the South Pacific where I would spend my days lying on the beach eating fruit and fish and having those drinks with the little umbrellas in them? You know, Jane, I don't think I've ever heard you say that. That is correct. That is correct, Lori. I'd rather be in Paris than Pago Pago, but that's just me. Our first guest spent 39 days on the island of Fiji as a contestant on the hit show Survivor. Now, for all of you who may not know the premise of Survivor, here very briefly are the cliff notes. A number of contestants from across the U.S., they're stranded in a remote location without any aid whatsoever. And once they're there, they have to compete in a variety of tasks in order to win $1 million. Maybe maybe I'll rethink Paris after all, Lori. <laughs> right? uh, the contestants split into two teams, and the team that loses a particular task, they often vote a player out of the game or off the island, as it were. Uh, there's more. In addition to their performance and the challenges, the personal interactions at the team camp influence the outcome of the vote. Now, fast forward to the end, the challenges and eliminations continue until the game is reduced to two players, at which point they're judged by the previously eliminated contestants, and they are a very tough crowd, trust me. Well, our first guest, Adam Klein, he was the champion. He won. He was the survivor at the uh, Millennials uh, versus Gen X uh, show uh, series. But as sweet as that victory might have been, on a very tragic note, when he came back home, he suffered a devastating loss. His mother, Susie, who had been battling lung cancer, passed away just one hour after his return and a short nine months after her diagnosis. Since then, Adam has become an advocate to raise awareness and fight for increased funding for lung cancer research and a wonderful initiative indeed. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, when I was on that island in Fiji, we were not having very many of those drinks with the umbrellas sticking out of them. Oh really? I promise you that. <laughs> oh, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a minute. <laughs> we we are it, indeed. But first, I I, I want to say you know, and before we of course talk about your mom and your amazing work and raising four hundred thousand dollars for lung uh, cancer research, uh, including a personal donation of a hundred thousand from your uh, survivor winnings, and of course your collaboration with the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative, and that is to raise awareness of this really devastating disease, the number one cancer killer, I might add. So now let's go back to Survivor and those, those little drinks. Um, I noticed in your bio that you went to Stanford University. 
right? Yeah. Um, now, I know that school has a great athletic tradition, and it's also like the perennial winner of the Sears Cup for the most national champions, championships, actually. But being on Survivor, I would think, is like trying to win an Oscar while running the marathon. <laughs> it's the, it doesn't seem to be easy. Uh, what made you even want to do this show to begin with? Well, this has been one of those sort of crazy pipe dreams that you dream about uh, but never think is actually really going to happen. I mean, my, my like, first ever email had, like, Soul Survivor Adam in it. Uh, when I was nine years old, I started watching the show, and, like, would, when I was in middle school, I would, like, play Survivor games online and, like, vote out strangers on the Internet. Like, I was a strange kid, right? But this was... I always had goals in my life and other objectives that, that I was pursuing, you know, whether it be at, at Stanford or, or after that, I, you know, worked for a large homeless shelter nonprofit. So I had other things going on in my life, but always buzzing in the back of my mind was this idea that, like, one day I want to get on and win Survivor. Uh, and so it, it's so crazy to me now that it's actually happened. Uh, but I really, you know, I, when, when I was 22 years old, I sent in my first audition tape and I just kept applying and I was going to keep applying until I one day got on the show. So hopefully my little cliff notes were right. That's kind of the premise of the show, right? You're there with nothing, no aid, nobody. However, um, I was I was talking to Lori about this before and forgive me for asking, but this is all on our minds. Um, you, the contestants, I mean, you're kind of in pain a lot and, and you don't eat very much. There's obviously a TV crew with you all times. Do they stay at like the intercontinental and eat these huge meals and have those drinks with the little umbrellas while you're sort of starving and foraging for food? <laughs> uh, as far as what we see in front of us, uh, I mean, they may be on their time off, but when, when they're in front of us, they never sit down in front of us. They never drink water in front of us. They never eat food in front of us. They understand how difficult it is for us. And from my vantage point, it seems really difficult for them as well. I mean, they're carrying around 50 pounds of heavy equipment, uh, wearing all this gear, uh, sometimes I think smelling worse than we did because they're (laughs) sweating through all of their gear. Well, you're not Um, wearing clothes, actually, so... (laughs) Right. Well, we can jump in the water and cool down. That's not a luxury that some of these camera guys get when they're like chasing us around the jungle when when we're chasing each other. (laughs) See, one of the reasons why they would never select me for the show is I would bribe them. I'd say, look, take me to dinner at the Intercontinental tonight. I'll I'll just when I get back on the show, I'll eat worms, I'll eat bugs, I'll eat anything. But I need to eat something like normal. (laughs) Uh, every once in a while, you know, you compete for rewards. So there are some opportunities uh, potentially to get some food. I didn't get, I was the last one my season to get a food reward. So I didn't have normal food until day 26. Uh, but when, I, when it finally came, it also came with letters from home, uh, which was by far the most important thing that I needed out there. So I won, I got that reward and I also got the loved one's visit when my brother came out. And I actually got to spend some time with him on the island. So I got what really mattered out there. I wasn't thinking about the food too much. Oh, see, I have a one-track mind. What kind of food did you get? (laughs) What kind of food did you eat? Let's put it that way. Uh, When you're a contestant, do you have to find your own food? Yeah. uh, I mean, at the beginning of the show, we got one bag of rice for the tribe. 
that's meant to last for the entirety of the game. And so you're talking about like less than a small bowl of rice a day on average. So like I lost 20 pounds while I was out there and I'm a small guy, so I didn't really have 20 pounds to lose. But you know, the, the, the thing for me about survivor was that no matter how difficult the game itself got, uh, nothing could compare to the challenges that my family was facing back at home battling with my mom battling lung cancer. So, you know, I, I, what I told myself was, like, if my mom can get through the challenges that lung cancer puts on a person and puts on a family, then I can get through anything that the game of Survivor throws at me. Yeah, so that's that's basically what you learned from your experience that you use in real life, which uh, was in, important. I mean, not not everyone comes back uh, to your uh, really very very sad situation, uh, which which we're now going to talk about. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about your mom, Adam. She she passed away nine months after being diagnosed, which is obviously very soon. Had had she been ill, uh, or was this all very sudden? It was all incredibly sudden. Two years before she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, my mom was medically cleared to play the game of Survivor with me. And she was 58 years old at the time, uh, would have been the third oldest woman in the history of the show, and would have run circles around me physically. I mean, she worked out every day. She ate totally organically. She never smoked a day in her life. Like, she lived the epitome of a healthy lifestyle. Everything that you would ever advise someone to do to be their healthiest version of themselves, that was my mom. Uh, and so you can imagine the shock for all of us when she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And, and I have to admit, I and, and, and we had some misconceptions, I think, about lung cancer. Uh, I thought that, you know, my mom lived this ultra-healthy lifestyle. There's no way that she would ever get lung cancer. And I think a lot of people have that idea. There's this stigma around lung cancer that if you got it, you know, oh, you probably smoked or maybe you lived in a smog-filled environment or you did something along the way to sort of contract the disease. And we don't ask those questions for other, uh, for other diseases, for other cancers. We don't say, oh, well, how did you get that cancer? But we do for lung cancer. Uh, and, and so I, I was like very many people when, when I just didn't think that that would ever be possible, that that would ever happen to someone in my family. And yeah. the most important thing that I learned is that if you have a pair of lungs, you can get lung cancer. Now, what what do they what did they say that this possibly was so it wasn't genetic either. There wasn't a um, anything in in the past that might have come back through her. I mean, it's, it's possible. You know, there there are so many reasons why someone can get can get cancer. But I think the the point is is that you know once you're diagnosed with lung cancer, it doesn't really matter how you got it. Like no one deserves cancer. No one deserves lung cancer. And we need to invest in research to find better answers for these patients because we're just not there yet with with lung cancer. We need to do better. Right now, only 18% of women's lung cancers are diagnosed at an early stage when it's most treatable. So we need to find some ways that we can do better early detection, that we can find this disease earlier, 
Um, and we need to find better treatment options for those patients that do have later stage lung cancer. Now, you, um, you have collaborated with the American Lung Association's Lung Force initiative uh, to raise awareness of this, of this devastating um, disease. How did this partnership come about? So, you know, one of the things that, that you'll find about lung cancer is that I, there aren't just there aren't that many people talking about it for the effect that it has on our country. I mean, lung cancer kills more people every more men and more women every year than any other cancer, and more kills more people than the next top three cancer killers combined. And yet, only 18 percent of women have lung. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, only two percent of women have lung cancer anywhere on their health radar. It's just not something that, that, that most women or, or most people in general are, are thinking about. Uh, and so, you know, there, there aren't that many people talking about lung cancer in, in the media, you know. Uh, I don't consider myself to be a celebrity, but I, I happen to be, and this is, uh, I find this unfortunate, one of the, you know, the, the biggest voices right now talking about lung cancer um, it just doesn't come up that that often. You don't have as many like walks for it and that sort of thing. Um, and and part of that is you know the stigma and there aren't enough survivors. We need uh, to in, invest more in this disease so that more people can live with lung cancer as a chronically managed disease. Um, and and we're getting there. And there are we're on sort of a, a horizon where it looks like there there are some treatments that, that, that could be very successful and now is the time to invest in them. So, you know, I got, I've been involved with the American Lung Association, with Stand Up to Cancer, the American Cancer Society, the Bonnie uh, J. Dario Lung Cancer Foundation, uh, anything that I can do right now to raise awareness about this disease and raise as much money for it as possible. That's what I want to dedicate, you know, whatever visibility I have from Survivor towards. Yeah, and as as I said in the beginning, you 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 raised what four hundred thousand, and you've donated a uh, hundred thousand of your own winnings as well, which is uh, which is admirable for you to have. And, and we're going to be able to raise a, a lot more now with this Lung Force initiative, um, uh, partly because of our partnership with CVS uh, pharmacies. So if you for for the next twenty days until you know the twenty seventh or so. If you go into any CVS pharmacy location, you'll actually hear my voice um, over the loudspeaker every 30 minutes encouraging you to donate. And then when you go to check out, um, you can make uh, a small donation at, at checkout towards the um, uh, American Lung Association. Yeah, which is very uh, a, a very, very good uh, cause. I, I really uh, urge everyone to make that um, donation at the checkout counter. Um, you know, Adam, no matter how old, how sick, or for how, for how long, it's never easy to lose your mother. I know from personal experience. Um, you were determined to honor your mother's legacy and, of course, prevent others from being affected. But um, how, did you, how did you personally deal with this devastating loss was your time on survivor did that strengthen you did what you learned there did that make you sort of a stronger person to get through with the through this because i know as i said from personal experience it is very very hard to get through 
especially something so sudden and so unexpected. Even even when it's not sudden, it's hard. But I can imagine when it's sudden, it's uh, even more difficult. Yeah, look, there 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 is nothing that I've experienced that's been more difficult, uh, and there is very little that sort of makes it better. You know, it's just it sucks. Um, and yeah. There's there's no there's no way around that. Uh, but I think when something like that happens, you have a couple choices. You know, you can sort of bury your head and let the pain wash over you, and 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 that's okay. That's understandable. But I think the more productive choice uh, is to try to bring some meaning to it. And I'm lucky enough that I have a platform to be able to do that. Um, but I think it's helping me cope and bring some meaning to what otherwise to something that otherwise seems somewhat meaningless because it's like you know why why did why? this happen to us why did this happen yeah. to my mom and and the more uh, that I can help other families not have to experience the same kind of nightmare that my family went through uh, the, the the more at least meaning I, I, I feel like I'm bringing to it um, and so that's something that that is powerful uh, and 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 that's part of the reason why I've I've chosen to dedicate my time and and, and my energy in this way. I'm sure she was very proud of you for winning Survivor, something that you both had uh, been very very interested in <laughs> for a very yeah, long time. I mean, it was it was one of those things that was a, a shared family dream of ours. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't always her dream individually but she applied with me for the show because she knew how much it 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 meant to me and then she really got into it like as we started moving through the casting process you know i i have like uh uh, all her notes here of like the uh the things that she wanted to say in casting to like try to get on the show like we were really going for it and so when I had the chance to actually go on the show, it was a very difficult decision. Like, is now the right time to do this? I had no idea that my mom was, you know, as, as close to mm-hmm. passing away as, as she was. But nevertheless, when, when your mom has stage four lung cancer, like six and a half to leave for 39 days, six and a half weeks or whatever, it feels like an eternity. But my mom, my brother, my dad all said the same thing that, 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 you know, now is the time to go do this because we needed something to look forward to. We needed something on the horizon that, that would give us some hope because dealing with cancer, it's a very dark time for any family. And anything that you can do to give yourself goalposts, things to look forward to, it, it helps keep everybody optimistic and keeps, keep, keeps you fighting. Um, so it, it was an important thing, I think, for, for our family at the time. And, and my mom absolutely, you know, invested so much energy into sending energy my way and, and uh, recording. She recorded videos for me while I was gone so that, uh, I, you know, and I was able to watch those as the corresponding episodes aired. Um, and she absolutely waited for me to come home. And she played a big part in your winning, which is wonderful. So wonderful to hear. Um, now we just mentioned how you how you how you stay together, how, how you stay uh, uh, emotionally and, and spiritually um, fit. How do you say? How do you stay physically fit? Do you uh, continue to? Because you need the strength to keep 
keep doing what you're doing and keep fighting and and uh, certainly making a lung cancer awareness on everyone's mind. Um, what what do you do in the day to day? Do you how do you keep fit? Uh, you know, I have to admit I haven't done the the best job since I've been back from Survivor. It's something that I I know I need to sort of get back into. Um, before I went on Survivor, I was I was doing uh, I I joined a CrossFit gym a few years before um, to train for Survivor, um, and uh, I kept that up until I actually got on the show. Um, but one of the way I mean, my mom was always working out, and she would go on runs, she would go for for long walks, and she actually was walking around the block uh, two days before she passed away, the same day that I was at Final Tribal Council. Um, you know, finishing up the game, winning, winning Survivor, she was still walking around uh, the block. I mean, so she just lived every single day at 100%, and she was always, like, laughing and loving and working out and, and especially dancing. Like, that was my mom's way of, of working out. So um, every time that I get on a dance floor, that's when I feel the closest to my mom. Um, it, it, it can be emotional a lot of times when I'm like really letting loose because that's when I feel like most connected to her. Uh, so that's, that's, I think my preferred way of like not only keeping in shape, but, but, but keeping that, that close spiritual connection with my mom. Yeah. And continuing her legacy, which is wonderful that you're able to do that. She is smiling from ear to ear right now on you, Adam, on us all. Uh, there is there is a great spiritual connection here. I I, I can feel it. Um, I, I'm looking forward to having you teach a CrossFit class in New York City. I'm signing up, just so you know. But make me the first person on your list to come take it. I'm sure you're much in demand to do that. Do that also. You should have like fundraisers. You should do CrossFit classes and you know do the. They have the the boot camp. They have boot camp. They have all those uh, workout classes. You should do the well, survivor workout. I, just because I won Survivor doesn't mean I'm the, the most physically fit person in the world. Well, we think <laughs> you I are. We, we think <laughs> you are. You, you, you must be. I mean, with all the contestants and you won, come on, you got to have your, you, 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 no, you're being too humble here. Well, <laughs> I've seen so what you look like. You're fit. Yes. You don't want to be the, the biggest necessarily threat, physical, social, strategic, or otherwise, because then you'll be targeted as, you know, as someone that people want to get out of the game. So, you know, it's kind of nice to, like, in the game of Survivor, stay in the middle. See, now you know. You know all the tricks. You know all the politics. That's something that you have. As I said in the beginning, you have to know all the politics. So that's very important that your interaction with your other, with your other, uh, uh, with the other contestants uh, to keep you on the show. So, Adam, yeah, thank yeah. the most important piece. Like, people say, I'm not here to make friends. That's fine, but then you're probably going to lose because you have to make some friends along the way in order to do well in that game and in life. I'd just be happy just, you know, taking a nice swim in the water and eating some freshly caught fish, even without the drinks. <laughs> so, everyone, go to lungforce.org or visit Lungforce on Facebook to learn how uh, you can take action as well. Anything more you'd like to add, Adam? 
uh, if you want to have, uh, if you want to get involved in a fun way, obviously you can donate at lungforce.org or at any CVS pharmacy location, um, and and any donation amount is 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 uh, is appreciated. Uh, but if you want to get involved as well in a fun way, you can uh, tag a photo on on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter um, uh, with the hashtag Show Your Lung Force. Uh, of you using your lungs in some way, you know, blowing bubbles or dancing like my mom always did, maybe. Um, and and so you can use the hashtag show your lung force and also the hashtag live like Susie, um, which is the, the hashtag that we're using to inspire people to live life the way that my mom always did. Um, and then if you if you are inspired, uh, shoot shoot me a, a tag uh, at Adam Scott Klein on Twitter or at Survivor Adam on Instagram if you make one of those posts. We'd love to see it. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Adam Klein. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and um, you're you're doing wonderful things. And and uh, God bless you. Um, well, Thank you so much for having me, Jane. I really a, appreciate it. A pleasure. Stay with us, everyone. When we return, I'll be talking to Dr. Daryl Regal about protecting ourselves from skin cancer, which is still the most common malignancy in the U.S. You're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. We will be right back. Stay with us. As listeners of our iHeartRadio Talk Show know, Jane Wilkins Michael is one of the foremost experts on all things health, beauty, and fitness. Jane has just released her highly anticipated new book, Long Live You a step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before. In it, she shares a collection of advice, tips, and personal antidotes, along with lifestyle suggestions from some of the world's top beauty, health, and fitness experts, many of whom have been interviewed on this show. Are you hoping to make positive health decisions, improve your emotional well-being, establish a support system, give something back to your community and the world? Jane's new book will help you look years younger and also live a longer, healthier, happier, and more beautiful life. You can order Long Live You, your step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before at your local bookstore or at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, where it's available for delivery or as an ebook. Or go to Jane's website, janewilkinsmichael.com. Now, back to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael's show better than before? Well, that's easy. You can tune into Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins Michael and better than before. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm here with Lori as always. And now I'd like to welcome back to the show for an encore performance, Dr. Daryl Regal. He is a clinical professor of dermatology at New York University Medical Center. He served as president of the American Academy of Dermatology and also as a director of the American Board of Dermatology. He has a super successful private practice here in New York City, and I'm sure you have seen him on many shows, including CNN, ABC, Fox, NBC, and CBS, as he has done some very important research in the areas of risk factors and prognosis for malignant melanoma and other skin cancers, as well as skin aging in general. So he is a very important important person to listen to. Welcome, Dr. Regal. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Now, on a personal note, everyone, I've known Dr. Regal for years. Our daughters went through school together. And speaking of aging, doctor, I like to make my daughter younger and younger, like she's 12, but she's obviously 28, like your daughter, Ashley, because then people start to do the math, and at some point they realize that maybe I didn't have a child at 12. 
You had a child at two. That's what my wife says. Correct. Oh, see? Yeah. How is she? How's Beth? She's good? She's great. She's Ter- in great shape. Terrific. Great. We'll send her my love. All right. So, Dr. Regal, in our first segment, we had the winner of Survivor on with us. He spent okay. 39 days in Fiji as a contestant on the show. And you know, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't do that show because I would be like a beekeeper with all my sunblocks and long sleeves and hats when everyone else would be basically naked. So I would immediately be voted off the island. So, <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about skin cancer. You know, it's still the most common malignancy in the U.S., I, I I think, right? Right, um, right. And uh, each year there, there are more cases of skin cancer than the com- combined incidence of what, breast and prostate, or, you know. There's more cases of skin cancer than all other cancers combined. And all other cancers. And uh, um, if my research is right, there are about 87,000 new cases which will be diagnosed in this country in 2017. And, uh, well, that's, that's actually 87,000 cases of just invasive melanoma. Right. And all melanoma. skin cancers together, there's probably... Right four to five million cases diagnosed each year. So I guess my question is, after all these decades of heightened sun risk awareness, why is there still so much skin cancer? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, it's, we always struggle with this a bit. But it's kind of interesting. You look at the information and the data. There's still lots of people going out there. There are lots of people that don't listen to the message. The good news, though, it looks like the rates of skin cancer are finally beginning to beginning to level off. They're going up, but not as rapidly. So some of that message is getting out there. However, there's some other factors that are pushing towards skin cancer. For example, the use of tanning beds by young people, primarily young women, uh, really raise the rate. If you look at the incidence of skin cancer, up to the age of 40, there's a predominance of women over men. In fact, skin cancer is the most common cancer in women ages 25 to 29, melanoma most dangerous kind of skin cancer. And most of that is attributable directly or indirectly to the use of tanning beds. It's a major problem in the U.S. And you have to think about it. The reason you tan faster in a tanning bed than you do in natural sunlight is that the bulbs are turned up higher, so you're getting 10 to 15 times the radiation that you would get in natural sunlight. But you, the reason you then tan faster, that's why, but also it also damages you quicker. So it's a, it's a significant problem, and that's one of the factors. And the other factor is that there's a latency from the time you do the damage till you see it. So you don't get the cancer the day after you've had the sunburn, but in fact, you get it 5, 10, 15, yeah, 20 years, years later. later. Yeah. So that, um, what, you know, they're, they're different, obviously, kinds of skin cancer. Now there's basal cell that my, my husband had it. Um, what's the difference between basal and squamous and, and melanoma? Well, cancers are named by the type of cell that goes bad, that turns cancerous. So basal cell carcinoma is the basal cells. That's the lower layer of cells in the epidermis, the layer between the epidermis and the dermis. Um, squamous cells are the ones slightly above that. And melanoma is the cancer of the melanocytes, the pigment cells of the skin, the cells that create the pigment in a tan. So of the three types, the basal cells are the most common but the least dangerous. It, basal cells typically won't kill you unless you let them go for five, ten plus years. Because they, they, but they grow locally and they're erosive. They need to you know, be treated. Squamous cells are the kind of intermediate risk cancers. They're about uh, oh, about basal cells are about eighty percent of cancers, skin cancer we see. Squamous cells about fifteen percent. 
and melanoma is about 5%, but the squamous cells, about 1% of those who get squamous cell of the skin will die from them. So there's some mortality risk, but pretty much localized if you catch them early. Melanoma is the real problem because what makes melanoma so deadly is melanoma spreads very early in its course. So the melanoma, a melanoma the size of a dime on your skin has a 50% chance of having already spread. And once it spreads, it's pretty hard to treat. There's some new treatments that are somewhat promising, better than five years ago even. But still, the best treatment for melanoma is don't get it in the first place. Right, but you can have a melanoma, and people say they get it like in the on their knee or in the back. So it's a, a place that you wouldn't expect because it's not like you could, you're not in the sun with that necessarily. So it's kind of sneaky, you know? Well, yeah, it, to some extent that's right. For for basal cells, the most well, the most common site for skin cancer on the entire body is the nose. Everybody's nose sticks out and catches sun, right? So, um, but melanomas typically are found most commonly in men on the back and women on the legs. Those are the two most common sites by gender. And every melanoma database across the world has the exact same a- a distribution by body site. It is thought that those are the areas that are normally covered but exposed when you go to the beach. So you know, they may get sunburned. The risk of sunburn is higher in those areas as opposed to the chronically exposed areas like a face or the backs of the hands. But you can get it anywhere. That's right. And one thing about melanoma, the, the sun actually suppresses your immune system. You know, if, if, I, if you were really allergic to poison ivy, which is effectively your immune system is too strong fighting it, um, I could put you in an ultraviolet light box and uh, for three or four days I can make you immune to poison ivy because I've lowered your immune response. Mm-hmm. Um, so with melanoma, the theory is that you get sun in a lot of places, it lowers your general immune response and a cell that might be turning cancerous for another reason that your body would find incorrect because the immune surveillance is down, it may miss it and that's how melanomas form on areas that are not in the most directly sun-exposed areas. Right. But don't you need a certain amount of sun for vitamin D? Oh, absolutely. But you get almost almost all the sun you need for vitamin D, you get just by day-to-day incidental exposure. You know, the, the sun, you, the ultraviolet sun does not create vitamin D. What it does in the skin, it converts vitamin D to its useful form in the skin. So it's sort of a pre-vitamin D that's converted to a vitamin D. But the amount of vitamin D that converts kind of gets... Uh, capped out pretty quickly. So if you get enough sun to be about one-third or one-fourth of what it takes you just to begin to turn you red in a day, at that point, the system's overloaded and you don't get more. So mm-hmm. you can't say, I'm going to stay out more and more and get more and more that day and then stay in the next day. It, it doesn't work like that. Right. So, But just incidental exposure, get it out of your car, walking you know, from this part of the supermarket or the post office or whatever, you get plenty of UV exposure to convert a reasonable amount. And if you're concerned about it, vitamin D, the easier answer is go to a place like uh, GNC and buy 1,000 unit vitamin D pills. Those those are already pre-converted, so they don't need UV. And take one of those a day and you'll have plenty of vitamin D. And they cost about a penny a piece. So oh, that's an easy, easy solution. And it saves your skin besides, what can I tell you? Absolutely. So you're, you're getting the vitamin D without the risk. That's exactly without, right. Without the risk. Now, okay, doctor, let's talk moles. Let's talk business here. Okay. Um, 
your team sent me a Melanoma Monday care package, and Melanoma Monday took place recently. Not that every day we shouldn't be aware of melanoma, of course. Now, it's, I have to say, it's a, it's like a hypochondriac dream. You can measure your moles. Now, now you know what I've been spending my time doing <laughs> since I got <laughs> great. it. That's great. Right? So let me just briefly say what's in it. It's, um, it is uh, some, it was, uh, it was a temporary tattoo sleeves that depict the A, B, C, D, E's of melanoma. We're going to say what those are in one second on your skin. It's a bookmark to use against your skin and, and the tattoo sleeves. Now you see why I'm so busy. It's a pencil with a six millimeter eraser to serve as a visual aid to check your mole's diameter and a UV sensitive bracelet that turns colors when you've been out in the sun too long. So let's start with what are the A, B, C, D, E's of, um, of moles? Well, we actually came up with this, myself and my colleague at NYU, uh, Bob Friedman. It's been a little over 30 years now. And the idea behind this, we were sitting in the uh, dermatology library at NYU and trying to come up with a simple way to describe what early melanoma looks like. And it was important that it was early because once it's advanced melanoma, it's pretty obvious something wrong is growing on your skin. It's bleeding or it's really elevated or it's got a weird color or whatever. But the trick was, how do you describe early melanoma? And we decided it had to be as easy as ABC. So we looked, we looked at a number of pictures of early melanomas and came up with the idea of A for asymmetry, that most moles tend to be uh, <coughs> excuse me, round in color, regular. Um, but you can't, if you draw a line down the middle, one side looks like the other. Melanomas, typically, you can't do that. One side looks different than the other side. B was for border. Most moles have a very clear-cut and distinct border from the surrounding skin. Most early melanomas have an irregular or indistinct border where the, the border kind of blends into the skin or it just looks jagged. Some people describe it as the coast of the state of Maine or the coast of California. Um, C stands for color. Moles can be light in color or dark in color, but most moles are typically uniform in color. Early melanomas tend to be variegated colors. In other words, they may have some brown, light browns, dark browns, everything in between, but it's not just one color that they have. So we uh, came up with these three things and we went down the hall to see our mentor at the time, Dr. Alfred Koff, who said, well, you have to have a size criteria. So we looked at our data and it turned out that 95% of the melanomas at that point were bigger than a pencil eraser. So that's a quarter of an inch, an easy size to remember, six millimeters. So that's what the D is, diameter greater than a pencil eraser or a quarter of an inch. And then about 15 years later, we realized that there's another important factor in identifying melanoma. and something that is changing, different than in neighbors. It's differentially growing. It's changing colors. So it's, E is for evolving. There's a change involved. Uh, and that's where the E was added into it. So the ABCDE rule is really helpful in trying to uh, focus on this. So, but not all moles that look like that are cancer, right? I mean, how, what's the percentage of moles that you have that look a little odd that really are cancer? Or is every mole that looks like that basically cancer? I'm looking. I'm looking well, as we speak. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, again, um, these are just general rules. And if you have something that meets the ABCDE criteria, you probably should get it checked. Um, but you're right. Not everyone that's like that will meet it. But most of the early melanomas will meet those criteria. I mean, they've been a number of studies that have looked at melanomas since we came up with these rules in the 80s, and a number of them have confirmed the fact that if you know these criteria, 
and you're suspicious and they fit the criteria, then it probably pays to get them biopsied. But how often should we go to the dermatologist to get checked for our moles? Well, we often say uh, on your birthday, have your birthday suit examined. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so once, once a year is good. Uh, you know, if you've had a prior melanoma, you have other risk factors, we probably want to see you a little more frequently. But for the average person, that's one part of it. The other part of it is learning your moles. We call the skin self-examination, which is another concept we came up with at that same time as the ABCDs. And uh, if you learn your moles, if you look at your moles once a month and learn change, you will see a change. You will know to uh, have them checked. Uh, There's nothing better than learning about your own moles, and that's what some of these tools that were given out this, uh, during this uh, Skin Cancer Awareness Month, uh, like you mentioned the sleeve and uh, uh, the bookmarks and the pencil and the UV-sensitive bracelet. These are all ideas to sort of raise the awareness and raise your understanding of your moles too. Well, I had a great headline, Know Your Moles. That's what I wrote. I, that was the I top like of the story I wrote about. I think I interviewed you for that one, actually. I think you did, yeah. Um, now, Doctor, going back to the sun, you know, we talk about the UVA rays and the UVB. The way I remember it is UVA, the A stands for aging and the B stands for burning. Um, so we obviously have to consider both in a sunblock since we are dealing with the, both both of those types of rays on the day-to-day. But um, here's the question, and, and Lori and I were discussing it the other day. I'm going to be the investigative reporter here. Um, I very much believe in wearing sunblock. Of course, we all should be. But in a in a recent article, I saw that um, many sunscreens uh, can contain. I mean, this is according to the to the author, uh, dangerous chemicals that can actually boost your skin cancer risk, which I think sort of defeats maybe the purpose uh, of using them to begin with. Is there any validity to this claim, or is it so rare to get cancer from a cosmetic product that and and any sunblock is is better to use than none. Well, I'd have to see the article, but there's no data that I know, no studies that show that wearing sunscreen, the chemicals in the sunscreen are causing cancer. I mean, that's just not happening. And okay. essentially, we do that experiment indirectly every weekend in the summer when tens of millions of people in the U.S. are putting sunscreen on and we're not seeing this occurring. So um, it's there, there's a whole, there's been a whole bunch of about fake news this is kind of fake science i guess mm-hmm. where uh talking about how these these the ingredients in the sunscreens can be problematic but there's no data to support it whatsoever and i i i get frustrated when i see this because mm-hmm. um a patient will come in with the same question you just asked and uh, i'll say look there's no science behind it and here's what the real data is that it's, it's better to use them and I, once in a while i'll get a response that says well you say this they say that uh, I don't know who's right, so I'm going to do what I want until it's finally decided. But, you know, the, the science is so overwhelmingly on the side of it's a good thing to use sunscreen, and it's frustrating when you get that kind of response. Right. Once they say in law, asked, answered. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for clarifying this, Dr. Regal. So, but, you know, and, and again, it is kind of confusing, though, uh, to say the least, that, uh, you know, there's so many sunblocks, so many sun lotions and uh, out there. Uh, which is a good thing, but uh, what are some of the ingredients, speaking of ingredients, that we should be looking for in a product? Well, the U.S., the way it works, there are actually, depending on you county, there are 16 or 21 sunscreen agents that the FDA have approved. So if you want to make a sunscreen, you have to have at least one of those agents in your you know, moisturizer, whatever it is, to officially call it a sunscreen. Most of, most of the sunscreens have three or three to five of them in there. 
And um, so most sunscreens, we see the oxybenzones, which is a family of drugs. So it's uh, avobenzone is one of them that's in there, uh, a bunch of them with it. Then there's a, a group of drugs called methoxycinamates. There'll, there'll be something cinamate. There's salicylates, which are distant relatives to aspirin that are in there. And, uh, and then combinations of various other things. Of course, the those are the uh, organic sunscreens. The inorganic sunscreens are the zinc oxide and titanium dioxide ones that are basically a, a micronized powder on the skin. So they're all in there. But more importantly, when you look at a label, I mean, what I'm telling you, you almost have to be an organic chemist to know what to look for. But uh, for the average person who's not an organic chemist, um, I think there are a couple things that are important. One is SPF. SPF just measures the UVB protection, but it should be at least 30, minimally 30. I tell my patients use a 50, uh, but at least a 30. The second thing is that <clears throat> the word broad spectrum, the words now have some formal meaning from the FDA. So in the past, it was just sort of a marketing term, but if you are broad spectrum, it means you're covering UVA and UVB proportionately. So if it's got a high uh, SPF, it's got to also have a relatively high UVA protection to proportionally cover and protect you. So looking for the word broad spectrum support. And the third thing is water resistance. There's no such thing as a waterproof sunscreen. So the, the words waterproof since 2011 cannot be used on a sunscreen. But they rate them with three ways, with nothing, water resistant 40 minutes, and water resistant 80 minutes. And you want the water resistant 80 minutes. So the three things you look on the bottle for, SPF greater than 30, hopefully up to 50 mm-hmm. or more, even if you like it, um, broad spectrum and water resistant 80 minutes. Now, let me ask you a question here, another one, investigative reporter that I am once again. And please don't shoot the messenger. These are just questions that I'm hearing. <laughs> okay. So. Sure, no problem. Um, is it, you know, some people, like if they find a, a 100 SPF, uh, but in actuality, it's maybe just 1% more UV protection than a 50, is it not? I mean, it's the, and that just encourages you to go out in the sun more. Is there one that is, is 50 high enough? In other words, the more you get, do you think, oh, then I can stay out all day? But that's not necessarily true. Well, you know, it's interesting you raise that because we have a study that we've just submitted for publication where we had uh, 200 skiers in Vail, Colorado, and we did this uh, last March. And uh, what we did was we had them, uh, it was a double-blind study, so they had two tubes of sunscreen that were not marked, and they would put one on the right side of their face, one on the left side of their face, randomized. Then we had them come in the next day and to see if the difference between a 50 and 100. And it turned out that the the people, the side of the face with the 50 was 10 times more likely to burn than the side of the face with 100. So what you said in a vacuum is correct, you know, in a scientific mm-hmm. environment. But people underapply sunscreen. That's number one. So people typically only apply about 25 to 50 percent of the rated amount. So if you have a 50, you're getting anywhere between a 12 and a half and a 25. But the higher SPFs, if you underapply them, are at least more forgiving. So if you have 100, you're getting the effects of a 25 to a 50. And, and that's the really advantage of the higher SPFs. If they were really applied correctly in a perfect setting, you're, what you said is true, that the difference may not make a difference. But in the real world, it absolutely does. And the other thing is that if you're really fair-skinned and you burn easily, 50 may not be even enough for you. You know, if you're in the, it's June and you're out on the beach in New York or you know, it's March and you're skiing in Colorado, um, you, that sun is pretty strong. 
Yeah. And if you're a, a blonde or a redhead and freckly, 50, you may burn through that even because you typically on these side, those kinds of days, if you average over the whole day, get the equivalent if you had nothing on to give you about 20 to 30 sunburns. And if, if 20 or 30 times what it takes to sunburn you once, I'll put it that way. So it's, it's, you need that kind of protection, really, especially if you're fair skinned. All right. Even on a rainy day, most people think it's cloudy. I don't need it. But you do, right? You do. It's not as strong, obviously, as a sunny day. But ultraviolet light passes through the clouds, even on a cold, cloudy day. I mean, if it's a, a pitch black hurricane or monsoon <laughs> or, you know, blizzard, well, sure. That not, some you get a pass on that. <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's okay. But, you know, just a typical day with higher, you know, middle clouds, you're, you're going to get a lot of, especially this time of year already, you're going to get a lot of UV that comes through. Right. Now let's, let's talk then, let's say, um, give us some tips about uh, preventing, obviously, skin cancer, some of uh, tips. And then we're going to talk about aging a little bit, because that's really important. I have my pen out. I'm taking notes. I sharpen the okay. pencil to use my on my moles. <laughs> so it's, it's doing a dual purpose. <laughs> so... Well, you know, well, both of these things are somewhat interrelated. And you mentioned earlier about UVA being aging, UVB being burning. That thinking has sort of gone away a little bit because see, both I of them cause both people? things. That's why I have you on here. What do I know? That's why I have you no, on no. here. You set me well, right. <laughs> the science has evolved a little bit. And if you think about it, the only difference between UVA and UVB is it's a physical difference where UVA will penetrate window glass and UVB doesn't. See, there so, is a difference. There is a difference. So give give that to me. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's a physical difference. But yes. it's, if you think about it, that's not a biologic difference of what the Correct. impact is. So we really want to protect both. And from skin cancer, the best way to lower your risk is three things you do. One is wear, a, wear protective clothing. Wear that broad-brimmed hat. If you're on Survivor, at least wear that hat to cover the nose. <laughs> <Thanks. laughs> um, and uh, But... The second thing is avoid the midday sun when the rays are the strongest. So during daylight saving time, that would be 1 o'clock. So at least from 12 to 2, go inside and grab some lunch or something so you're not getting the strongest rays. And then uh, the final thing is regularly use sunscreen. Those three behaviors together, wearing the protective clothing, avoiding the rays of the sun when it's the strongest, and regularly using sunscreen have been definitively shown to lower your cancer risk. So it's you know this there's science behind this. If you regularly do those things, your chance of getting skin cancer is less. Now let's turn a little to aging, which, as you said, it all inter it interrelates. But what are some lifestyle suggestions for keeping our skins forever young? Well, yeah, there's so many things associated with that. And I, see, I think I view aging. We call it photo aging because it's the aging that's due to um, you know the set, the damage from the sun, and it's a whole a continuum, a spectrum from those first little freckles that you get when you're younger uh, to uh, little broken capillaries. The freckles get bigger and your skin gets a little more mottled and you start getting some lines. And, you know, if you think it, take it out to its extreme, that's when skin cancer is forming because all those cells are breaking down in various ways. So skin cancer is sort of the, the far end of the pipeline in terms of photo damage and photo aging. But so the same things kind of apply especially when you're younger, protecting yourself really pays dividends. I always laugh when I see these you know, young people saying, oh, I, I look better with a tan, so I want to go out and get tan. But all they're doing is making themselves look old faster. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really is a problem. Tanning beds are really contributing to this problem because of that we talked about earlier that mm-hmm. the ultraviolet's so strong in there that, in fact, it's aging you faster. 
And you, the thing that's insidious about the damage, though, is you don't see it right away. You might see it 5, 10, or 15 years later. They have a, a picture that they have they show sometimes of a Tibetan monk. Now, these people live their lives without ever going outside, right? So they get no sun damage. And this person was 80, and he looked like he was about 25. Wow. No lines, no wrinkles. No, again, I'm not advocating that lifestyle unless that's what you want to do. But everything is common sense and a balance. So when you're outdoors, there's plenty of good reasons to be outdoors. But protect yourself. Wear a hat. Wear some sunscreen. And even in sporting events, whatever you do, exercise. Try to just minimize that incidental UV exposure. And if you do that and keep that lower, that's going to cut your aging down dramatically. Well, that and, and also, obviously, drinking a lot of water. No, that's... Sure. All, all... It helps to keep the skin hydrated. And look, a healthy diet is good. Getting enough sleep is good. All those things are important. But some of the, in some ways, the hardest thing to control is how much... Uh, UV exposure you get, right? You can right. say, I'm going to drink more water. You can say, I'll try to get more sleep. That may be harder to do. But but, uh, but those are somewhat directly controllable. The, the exposure, the ultraviolet exposure is kind of indirectly controllable to some extent. Yeah, so that's, well, doctor, I have to say that you have uh, done, you have achieved something my husband is never able to do, and that is correct me, and I say, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my wife would never say that either. So. <laughs> there you go. Well, tell everyone where we can find you. Well, I'm a clinical professor at New York University, and uh, anybody has any questions, uh, feel free. I'm right there on the NYU website. There's emails there, too. So. And how about to check more about skin cancer and melanoma? Well, I think the, the, the most important thing, the best thing, is go to the American Academy of Dermatology websites. Um, the uh, it's aad.org www.aad.org has everything on dermatology and uh, there's also one specifically for skin cancer from the American Academy of Dermatology which is spotskincancer.org spotskincancer.org that has incredible information about skin cancer and also talks about how to find a free cancer, a skin cancer screening in your neighborhood um, so everything's on there that's really helpful Oh, well, thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Regal, for being with us. Please give my love to your beautiful wife and your beautiful daughter and your beautiful son. You have just, it's the beautiful, the beautiful Regal family. What can I tell you? Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Glad your family's doing well, too. That's great. Uh, all right, everyone. That's our show. Thanks again, doctor. And thank you, Laurie, as always. Thank you all for listening. This is Jane Wilkins-Michael. I will see you next week. Until then, be wise, be well, be better than before. Have a question for Jane? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. The Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.